So this is one of the great prayer meetings recorded in the Bible. Uh, and I want to look at it in its context. So what I've got is I've got four P's for you this evening. And the first is the probe. So the apostles then have been hauled before the authorities and interrogated. And they're really given a hard time. And imagine how these fellows would have felt. Hauled before the authorities, the religious authorities of the land. These are the top people. It'd be like being hauled before the Supreme Court of the UK uh, or, or the House of Lords or, or whatever. Uh, and here they are, they're being interrogated by these priests uh, uh, and Sadducees and others who are their lawyers in, in the Sanhedrin. Uh, and they're intimidating them. They know that they... They know that something amazing has happened. This miracle has happened. They can't say that it hasn't happened. But they don't like it because the implication is, of course, that these people now have a good reason for telling people about the Lord Jesus, uh, about the, Jesus being the Messiah and that he's risen from the dead. Uh, and they can't handle that, uh, that teaching because it challenges their own authority but also challenges them about their own position in regard to God themselves. So here they are, intimidating Peter and John and seeking to shut them up effectively. We notice that uh, these fellows are unschooled. You see that in verse 13? When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. That should be encouraging to us. Not many of us are particularly schooled uh, and we might feel that we struggle a little bit to understand parts of the Bible. I, under, I struggle to understand quite a bit of the Bible, to be quite honest. Uh, and we might feel like, if I, can't, if I can't really understand all the Bible, I may not be uh, in a position to be able to share my faith and even to stand up to the sort of quizzing that people get. And we may not even get quizzed by the highest authorities of the land, but we may get quizzed by our family members, by our neighbours, by our friends, and we can find that pretty intimidating. But notice what they found when they, when they looked at these people, when they saw their courage. They took note that these people had been with Jesus, and that was what made them the way they were. Do you remember that when Jesus chose the apostles to be with him for three years, he chose them... He chose the, he chose them, we're told, so that they could be with him. And that is what made the difference to these men. They had been with the Lord Jesus for three years. They'd seen him die on the cross. They'd seen him now, after he'd risen from the dead, spent 40 days with him, during which he taught them about the kingdom of God, and which he, in which he showed themselves to him and ate meals to them, and so that they could see that he really was risen from the dead. And that galvanized them. And they were ready then, when the Holy Spirit came on them on the day of Pentecost, that they would be empowered for witness, just as Jesus said that they would be. So, that's uh, the context, these, the, the probe which uh, had been given to these guys. And because the Holy Spirit had come on them, they, they glowed with the presence of Jesus. That's what we're told. And it was the Spirit's work in them to, make them to make them like that. So that's the probe. The second P is the people. So they make a swift exit from this Sanhedrin. 
They're told to leave uh, and not to carry on teaching in the name of Jesus. But where do they go? They could have kind of run away from Jerusalem, maybe go into the desert, maybe find a different place, maybe go down to Egypt, get well away from the threat which has come upon them. But no, what do they do? They go and find their own people. You see that in 23? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Now, just try to put yourself into the mindset of these disciples. They had been, they, they were Jews. They lived in the Jewish community their whole life, even after they had come to understand that Christ has risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit had come upon them. They were meeting with the other disciples after the day of Pentecost. Can you imagine that hundreds, perhaps even thousands at a time, meeting in the temple to worship God? They hadn't founded a new religion and said, look, we need to go and make a new chapel somewhere because now we're Christians. They were still Jews. The Jews, they were Jews. It was so important to them. Can you imagine that they, they had to, uh, that they thought continuously about the, the history in which they had come from? They're, they were direct descendants of Abraham who had met with God. God had given him him that covenant for himself and for all his descendants they their people were the ones who received the law through the prophet Moses who had led them out of Egypt and to the promised land King David was their king in days gone by this great nation of the Jews was their people but here it says they go back to their people They've left the leaders of the Jews and they go back to their people. So there's already a sense for them that ethnicity, nationalism, is nowhere near as significant for them as it may have been before. What had happened? The Holy Spirit had come upon them, and not only on these apostles, but on all those people who had trusted in the Lord Jesus. And he, they knew that these people would be praying. And so they go back to their people, their own people. It reminds me of a story, of a story um, that is in the, the biography of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, I don't have that, that volume. I've got the second volume. The first volume talks about how he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think it's early on in his youth, maybe it's when, it, when, it's his, when he's a student. Uh, he's out with his friends for the night. Uh, and he comes out of where they are, whatever venue it is, and he sees the Salvation Army uh, outside witnessing for Christ. And he, say, and he sees them and he thinks, these are my people. And it makes a huge difference on his life. Uh, and turns him around, really, and uh, confirms to him that he is indeed a follower of Christ. Uh, these are his people. Do you have that feeling when you meet with God's people? Is there something special about meeting with the Lord's people together for prayer or together as you worship on a Sunday? There should be. If there isn't, there's something wrong with your spiritual life. You remember that hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. That should be the sentiment of all God's people. So, that's the probe and the people. Now let's come on to the prayer. I want to spend a bit more time on this. 
Notice how in the prayer then the believers don't focus on their trouble. It would be the easiest thing, wouldn't it, to talk about all the trouble that they've been through, that, uh, that they've been hauled before the authorities, that, that they've been threatened. And they know that these people are serious. After all, they have colluded and they have pushed for Jesus to be executed just weeks before. And they knew that that could happen to them too. But they don't focus on their own troubles. They don't focus on the threats that they've received. Rather, they say this in verse 24, Sovereign Lord. They focus on God himself, the sovereign God. See what they say in verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, to conspire against your holy servant, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Do you see that? How is God sovereign? He's sovereign in that he plans what, was, what is going to happen. He had decided what the authorities would do. He had decided what Herod and Pontius Pilate would do together with the Gentiles in conspiring against Jesus to have him executed by the Romans. And that was all in line with the Sovereign Lord's plan. Do we take that into account when we pray? That the Sovereign Lord has already purposed and planned for everything to happen in this universe. And that is the basis for all true prayer. We don't go to prayer to try to manipulate God into changing his mind. That's not the purpose of prayer. We go, to pray, we go to prayer because we know that God is in control. And because he's in control, we know that he can hear our praying and that he can answer it if it is his will in the way that we have asked. But of course it's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because sometimes we think, well, if God's planned everything to happen, well, what's the point of praying anyway? I'm sure that that has come across the minds of these disciples as well. But they don't, don't go into philosophical discussions about how God's sovereignty fill, fits in with prayer. They just go for it. They pray to the sovereign Lord. And they do that because of two reasons. One, because Jesus has told them to do so and another because they want to have fellowship with God. So when we come together and have fellowship as a people of God to pray together, we fellowship with one another, but more than that, we fellowship with God together, don't we? And they wanted to have fellowship with God's people and with God himself. So philosophical discussions were not so important to them. What was really important was fellowship with God. And because God had created the universe, you see that in verse 24, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Because God had created the universe, he could answer their prayers too. After all, if God was only some kind of demigod, we could never be sure, could we? But he's created everything that exists, apart from himself, obviously. So, because he's the creator, he can answer our prayers. So they go to pray. 
Now, three things about their praying. So these are three sub-points, if you like. The first is this. Their praying is heartfelt. You see that? It's ardent, heartfelt prayer. There's no formalism here. And formalism is deadening in our prayer meetings. Sometimes you can come to prayer with a desire to pray and somebody prays a long prayer, prays a long prayer that's full of pet phrases uh, and rehearsed expressions, but there's no life there and it can sap the life out of a prayer meeting. So let's watch our own hearts also as we come to prayer that we're not tempted to be like that ourselves. Now, it's impossible for us to avoid praying like other people. When we pray together, we pick up phrases from each other. That's totally normal. When I was living in Nepal, I, I was quite struck by that. Once I'd, learned to, once I'd learned enough Nepali to hear when people prayed, they often used the same phrases. And I thought, well, that's not very natural, is it, in, uh, in Nepali language? But they were picking it up from each other, and there's nothing wrong with that. And we'll do that too. But let's watch ourselves that we're not just trotting out our, our usual pet phrases when we pray. Rather, let's be like these folk here who are refreshingly honest with God and who are natural in the way that they talk to the Lord. Have you ever prayed with somebody who's just come to faith in Christ? It's a wonderful thing. And just to hear them talk to God without all of those phrases that, they, that we've learned from others uh, and that have become part of our praying. It's refreshing. So let's just watch out that we don't lose that honesty with God and that freshness. Prayer, uh, John, John Newton says, prayer is, is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. So it should be part of us. It should be exuding out of our, uh, our being. It should be heartfelt. And let's not forget that Satan will do anything to prevent us from praying heartfelt prayers. And if he can change our heartfelt prayers into mere formal formulas that we can pray, uh, that we might just be trotting out as a list, he will do that because that will be deadening to true prayer. So let's pre plead to the Lord to give us a heartfelt uh, attitude to prayer. The second thing about praying is that their prayer, their prayer is scripture-saturated. So it's heartfelt and it's scripture-saturated. You see that in verses 25 and 26. They quote David from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Important psalm, isn't it? And they knew that. Probably they knew it by heart. They know their Bibles. The scriptures are being fulfilled at that moment. Isn't that amazing? They've prayed that psalm. They've heard that psalm. Perhaps they chanted or sung it together in the synagogue throughout their growing up. But now they realize that it's actually being fulfilled in their time right now in that prayer meeting. Now, have you discovered that yet? Have you discovered that God is fulfilling his word in your life? Let me direct you to the end of Luke's Gospel. If you have your Bibles, right at the end of, the Luke, of Luke's Gospel, Jesus meets with the disciples 
And this is what he says in chapter 24, verse 45. It says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. It's the Old Testament. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Right? Prophecies about Jesus. But what else does he say? And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's still happening. That means the Bible actually prophesies about you when you share your faith with your neighbor and with your family member. And it prophesies then about us when we pray together as we encourage one another to be active witnesses for the Lord. We are fulfilling Old Testament prophecy right now, this evening, as we gather together. Isn't that wonderful? So the, the apostles knew that. They, they knew that they were fulfilling, or the Spirit was fulfilling through them, what he had also already prophesied in, in uh, days gone by. So their prayer is Scripture-saturated. Are you saturate, saturated with the Scriptures? How do we get that? It doesn't come just like that. We need to spend time in the Scriptures. We need to spend time, make sure that we're here at prayer meetings, at Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, in Bible studies, uh, and, and even when we're meeting perhaps in each other's homes, to get the Bible out and read together. And as we read the Bible, and as we listen to it read, it saturates, it permeates our mind, so that when we pray, scriptures come to the mind, and we can pray those scriptures, and it enriches our prayer. So their praying is scripture-saturated. We've seen that their prayer is heartfelt, it's scripture-saturated. And the third thing about their prayer is this, their praying is faith-filled. You see that? They plead with God. They ask him in verse, uh, yeah, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They've just been before the authorities, and the authorities have said, stop doing what you're doing. But they come and they pray to the Lord, and they ask the Lord to give them great boldness to do what they've been told not to do. That's a faith-filled prayer, isn't it? They've seen God doing great things. They were there when the, the Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. That was a wonderful experience for them. And the Lord had done an, another amazing thing through them uh, in the uh, giving uh, uh, in this lame man being made, um, made whole. So God had done wonderful things, and now they ask for God to do something else. Do you pray that sort of prayer as well? Do you look to what God has pr done before and ask him to do it again? Because that is, the, that is what a faith-filled prayer is like. You can come before the Lord and you can say, Lord, you've done that in the past. Do it again, Lord. Do it again here in Cliddoch. Do it again here in our chapel. Bring people along to hear the word of God preached on the 7th of November by Ian Parry. Bring people along so that they hear the gospel and that they turn to the Lord. That The Holy Spirit comes down on them and they are saved. He can do that. Let's not forget that. We tend to think, I, th I think, if you're anything like me, we go through life as if everything will always just be like it has been. 
that in our experience. But it may be that just we haven't had a long enough life to remember what it was like in days gone by when God worked in an extraordinary way. And he can do that again today. And he can do that in your life and in your life as a church. So let's our praying be faith-filled praying like it is of these apostles. So, there we are. Prayer, it, their, their prayer is heartfelt, it's scripture-saturated, and it's faith-filled. But I've got one more P for you this evening, and that is the payoff. I don't usually work, use the word payoff, but I needed a P. There we are. So, the payoff. We've had the probe, the people, the prayer, and the payoff. What is the payoff? The payoff is the result of their praying. Now, we have to be careful here because we should never think that prayer to the Sovereign Lord is like a vending machine. You know, you go to a vending machine, you want a bar of chocolate, you put your 50p in, I can't remember how much it costs, uh, and out comes a bar of chocolate. We should never think that prayer is like that. That's the payoff, isn't it? You get the chocolate because you paid the money. Prayer to the Sovereign Lord is not like that. God is sovereign after all. He hasn't restricted himself to doing exactly what we would like him to do. But, and this is where we need to be very careful here, because if, we've got, if, we, if our doctrine is careful, if we, if we think carefully, and I'm sure you are a carefully thinking church, that if we think carefully, we can recognize the error in thinking that God is like a vending machine. But we may fall off the other side and think that, well, you know, we can pray, but it may not do anything. That's not the way they were thinking. They knew that God answered prayer, and so they prayed. Sure, God may not answer our prayers the way we want it to be, but they knew that God answers prayer, and that when we pray, God uses our prayers so that he will do what he was planning to do in the first place. So, the payoff is that God answers their prayer. Do you expect an answer to your prayers? You should. We should pray expectantly. Again, I, I'm preaching to myself here because it's something that I often struggle with. But what happens? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So, there are a number of ways that we can respond to this amazing story. One, we could say, the reason we're not seeing great numbers in our church is because we're not doing it right. We need to get back to the New Testament way of doing church and we come up with some new programs or new ideas uh, and, and like that. So uh, that's one way that we can approach prayer. We're thinking, well, we've prayed this way so many times, God hasn't answered, we need to do something differently. That could be one way that we respond. I don't think that's a very healthy way to respond. Another is this. You could say, well, that was then, you know, and in those days it was different. God answered prayer in spectacular ways. God doesn't do that anymore. But don't forget this. The Holy Spirit hasn't signed up to our program. 
When Jesus spoke to, the, uh, to Nicodemus, he said this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. And so is the Holy Spirit in the way he works, John 3. So how should we respond? We should respond surely by giving thanks for the wonderful way that the Spirit worked in these great days when he's first poured out, acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is sovereign over the hearts of men and women, and affirming that he will move whenever and however he wishes. And then we implore him to do it again. God's people have done that over and over through the centuries, and sometimes God has answered in extraordinary ways. So, these folk here, they have heartfelt prayer, they have God-focused prayer, scripture-saturated prayer, faith-filled prayer, and that's the kind of prayer that God listens to. May we be able to pray like that as well.